0: We are glad that you are here, Ordinary Faith, Uh, it's an exciting time to be able to be here. Uh, I I just love church, church is a time that I get refreshed, I get rejuvenated, coming to church and seeing people that I love, seeing people, hopefully you love me too, Uh, but uh, loving people, um, encouraged by people, and so on and so forth. Sundays are my favorite day throughout the week. Um, so just, I just want to say thank you for coming. Um, it's, a, it's an honor you come here t- as well. Uh, one is, um, I was having a conversation with my mom and dad. This year we have two seniors graduating, so our last two kids are, are coming up and they're g- walking across the stage. And so my dad was um, talking to me, and my dad and I have a uh, tradition. Every time we get together, we wrestle. And uh, my dad is 74, and um, last time we wrestled, we were, he was about 69, we were at the house and we were wrestling. And my mom and dad, they watch MMA wrestling and all that kind of stuff. And uh, he was doing arm bars on me and choke holds. Uh, it's a very good, healthy relationship we have together. Uh, it's a very—it's all done in fun. Um, I—my dad's about five two, and I'm about five nine ish, and I, I weigh about eighty five pounds more than him. So he's trying to do these moves on me, and I'm—I'm kind of picking him up and slamming him down, and 69-year-old uh, guy, I'm trying to quit, we're getting blood on the carpet, my mom's yelling, uh, rug burns, elbow burns, all that kind of stuff, so it's a lot of fun, so I, I love my dad, so he's coming, so we're talking on the phone, and he said, hey Michael, we're going to be able to rustle at your house, and it's hard to tell your dad no when he's 74, so dad, I don't think it's a good idea, um, of course, he's saying, Michael, you're just chicken. You're scared of me. Um, so on and so forth. So what does that have to do with if anything? Not much, but no, not really. It does go with my sermon. Um, so here's the interesting thing is I, I love my dad. Every time I, I preach, they pray for me. They're always telling me how, how proud they are of me and how pleased they are of me where I am with my Christian faith, uh, where God has taken us. And so we're going to read some scriptures. If you want to go ahead and turn your Bibles, to the book of, uh, your Bibles to the book of Mark. Chapter 9, we're going to spend a lot of time there. We're also going to go some other places as well. I want to talk today about unbelief. Um, today, as we, as we talk about it, there's a lot of things in our lives that we believe God for a lot of things. Uh, we believe God for salvation. We believe God for uh, relationship with him. We, we believe God will bring people to, to salvation. But I think there's a lot of times also we have undoubt, we have doubt in our lives as well. Um, things that just creep in, things that we don't notice that are um, doubts, that we're questioning God and we're, we're concerned and, and so on and so forth. So I want to spend some time on, on today about a, uh, on a topic where uh, um, a father was wanting his son healed from a demonic um, demon. Before I go there, I want to... I'm just going to scoot on up here so you can see me better. Um, so Mark chapter 9... We go, we go into the Transfiguration. If you're not familiar with this, the Transfiguration is when Jesus takes the inner, the inner circle, Peter, James, and John, up to a mountain, and, and God is there, God is there and, and appears Elijah appears, and Moses appears. Um, Elijah appears because it's the, the Old Testament prophets, the representation of the prophets. Moses is there for representation of the law, two very, very big uh, areas of the Old Testament. And during this time, in, in, in uh, Mark chapter 9, I just want to read one verse from this scripture here. Verse 7 says, And a cloud came and overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, saying, This is my beloved son, hear him. Uh, this is my beloved son, hear him. And suddenly they looked around, and there was no one around anymore. Now if you would just really quickly go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 3. Because I want you to understand the significance of the Transfiguration. Here God is, is declaring that this is my son whom I'm lo- who I love. In Matthew, Jesus is being baptized. And during the time of the baptism, John or, I'm sorry Matthew chapter three verse 16 says, "As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went out of the water, and at the moment heaven was open, and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove alighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, "This is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased." Another translation is, this is my son who I love, and I am proud. I want you to understand that we had two instances right here. We have the transfiguration, which is a very monumental point in Jesus' life, that God is declaring, this is my son, listen to him, because I am well pleased. And then we have Matthew, we have the baptism of Jesus, who he's going through. He, he doesn't need to be baptized, but in order, this, Jesus justifies later that I need to be baptized. And as Jesus is coming out of the water, a dove comes down, and a voice from heaven says, This is my Son, who I love, and I am well pleased. I, it, to me, I, I love those two instances, because with those two instances, you see the love of the Father upon his Son. And not just love, but pride pleasingness of truth unto the Father. Jesus' life was a radiant, was a reflection of who God was. And I look at my life and I see where I am with my dad, where I am with my, with my, with my mom and dad, and I love it when my dad says, Michael, I love you and I am proud of you. It, it's amazing what that does to a, from, from a parent's perspective and also to a child's perspective. And so as we look at this scripture, Matthew or Mark chapter 9, I want you to understand that wherever you are in life, wherever you are with your spiritual faith, when you're a believer in God, that God is proud of you. He is, he's really proud, proud of you. Now, I, I don't know about you, but immediately I go to all the crap that I've done in my life, and, I'm thinking, and crap is my strong word, um, and I, I think, Lord, how can you be proud of me when all the things I've done in my life with all the, the, the mistakes and all the sin that I've come against you, how can you be proud? But when God looks upon me, he doesn't see me. He sees his son Jesus. I'm clothed with God. I'm clothed with his son. And he doesn't see my imperfections, but he sees the perfection through Jesus Christ in my life. As so I want you to understand, when you, when God sees you, he sees his son. He doesn't see all the stuff that you've ever done. He doesn't see the sin that you've committed. He doesn't see all that stuff in your life, but he sees his son glorifying you. And you are a child of God. He is pleased with you and proud of you. Okay, I just want to make sure you understand that, where we are with God. Because we look at Mark chapter 9. I want to go ahead and read Mark chapter 9 if you would read with me. Um, it's about a boy being healed. And this is a scripture I want to talk about today about unbelief. It is very, very easy to talk about belief. It's easy to talk about how we believe in God, how we believe in Jesus. But I want to talk about the things that are are doubts in our mind. So here's uh, Mark chapter 9, verse 14. And when he came to the disciples, he saw a great multitude around them and scribes disputing with them. Immediately when they saw him, all the people were greatly amazed. And running to him, they greeted him. He asked the scribes, what are you discussing with them? Another translation, what are you arguing about? Then one of the crowds answered and said, "Teachers, I brought you my son who has a mute spirit, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, he, for, he foams at the mouth, gnashes his teeth and becomes rigid. So I spoke to your disciples that they should cast it out, but they could not. He answered him and said, "O faithful generation, how long shall you be with you? How long shall I be with you? How long shall I bear with you? Bring him to me." Then they brought him to him. And when he saw him, he immediately the spirit convulsed and fell on the ground and wallowed, fo- foaming at the mouth. He said to his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from, from childhood. And oft, how often has he thrown him in, both into the fire and into the water to destroy him? But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. But Jesus said to him, if you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately the father of the child cried out and said to the with tears, "'Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief.' When Jesus saw the people came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, deaf and dumb spirit, I command you out of him and enter him no more. Then the spirit cried out, convulsing him greatly, and came out of him. He became as one as dead, as many said he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he rose." And when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, Why could we not cast this out, cast cast it out? So he said to him, This kind of can, can come only out by nothing, by prayer, and by fasting. I love that scripture because I will tell you, I am the father who doubts. I am the one that would immediately say, Lord, if you can cast this demon out, if you can cast this one out, can you please do so? I don't know about you, I don't know where you are with your faith, but I understand that in my life, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of the living God. I put my faith into Him. I know where my salvation stands, but there are things in my life that I doubt. There are things in my life with God that I doubt. And that's kind of why I wanted to preach on this sermon today, because here we have a scenario. And first of all, you may ask the question, well, how can a pastor doubt? Well, let me just tell you a secret. We are human. We are sinners and only by God's grace is where we are today in our lives. But I struggle in certain realms. I struggle. I came from a church when I was younger that we didn't believe in clapping our hands. That's why I have no rhythm. So when you see me trying to clap, I don't have much rhythm. And that poor section over there, they they know I I miss the words on the songs. I make my own songs up as we worship. Uh, I, I don't go by their rhythm i go to my own little beating of my own drum. Um, but we, we had a church service. Where we, we sat there, we listened to the sermon, we, we sang songs, and then we went home. There was not a lot of interaction between us truly, I don't want to say truly worshiping God, but being expressing ourselves to the Father, being able to raise your hands, be able to exclaim, express to God how you are feeling and what is going on in your life. So we didn't have the impact upon the Holy Spirit in our lives. The Holy Spirit was just the Spirit doing His thing out there. But I want you to understand that the Spirit, when we are believers, and dwells inside of you, you, are a, you have the living God, the God of the universe, the one who created the world, brought into existence just by His voice, brought into you, and He is dwelling within you. So here's the thing. How, why do we doubt why do we doubt? This is more sermons sermon for myself than for you. But if I have this dwelling of the Holy Spirit, if I have the dwelling of God Almighty in my life today, why do I doubt about certain things? And I will tell you, there are some things that I will tell you personally what I doubt about. I do believe that people will come to Jesus. I believe that people's lives will be turned around. But then when you look at your own family, you look at your own situation, you kind of wonder sometimes, don't you? You kind of wonder, will that person ever come to God? Will they ever get their life right? And they probably think the same thing about me. That's all right, though. But, but I wonder sometimes, why, if I, am so, if I can be so strong in God in certain realms, how can I not be strong in knowing that God is going to change people's hearts? So that's what we're going to talk about today. So here we are, we look at the scripture, and in the very beginning, I have to remind you that Jesus is coming down the mountain during the transfiguration. Here he's at Peter, James, and John, the inner circle, and they've seen the witness, and the father just told told Jesus, I am proud of you. This is, I am pleased with you, Jesus. And he's coming down to this huge crowd. This is a discussion, what's going on? And Jesus wants to know, hey, what's going on? What are you guys arguing about? The translation we use, what are you discussing? And they start to break into the session where the father, who has a a demonic child, a demonic child who is throwing himself into the fire, throwing himself into the water, trying to kill the host. The father will do anything to have his child healed. That, that, as a father, it automatically makes me ask the question, as a, as a dad, as a mom, what are you willing to do for your child? What, what links are you willing to go if your child was demonically possessed, and you have to realize it's not, the child was not just had epilepsy, it's nothing that kind of form of a medical condition, but this is a form of true demonicism. It's a, it's a spirit living inside this child. So, as a dad, what would you be willing to do? As a mom, what would you be willing to do? I think as parents, we go to the, we do what it takes to, to make our child safe. We go to the degree of making sure our child is in a safe environment. And because Jesus is coming down and all of a sudden he sees his father, this father who loves his child, his father who wants the very best for his child, to be able to grow in a normal society, to grow in the faith, to grow in whatever the father did as an occupation and pass that heritage on. And now the father is just worried that his child is going to die at some point. Do you guys remember when you were first born, when you were first, uh, first parents, and you were so protective of your child? I mean, especially number one. Number one is special. That number, well, don't get me wrong, all children are special. <laughs> I mean, I'm sure my kids will hear that later. Uh, everyone is special um, in God's eyes and Mom and Dad's eyes, too. Yeah, but we take a little, we're, we go extreme, don't we, with the, with the first child? I mean, we do. We, we make sure, we germ germex the, the, the PASI, we make sure it's clean, uh, you know, we, we do the, the very best for that kid, we take all the pictures, you guys remember to shake your head if you actually, unless I'm just a horrible parent, and then, you know, number two comes along, you wash the PASI once in a while, not thoroughly, not all the time, you take a little less pictures, the third child's like, ugh, we don't have to wash that patty, You know, that's a five-second rule. You're good to go. Don't worry about it. Let's reuse those diapers. We're on a budget. Um, so on. So <laughs> joking. Absolutely joking. <laughs> yeah, we have a grandbaby. We're joking. You can only redo those things once in a while. But here, I want you to understand that as a, as a father, as a mom, you would do anything for that child to make sure that child is protected and to make sure it's being taken care of. You would do anything for that kid, no matter what order they are. No matter what first, second, third, fifth, sixth, seventh and eighth child you have on some people. We don't go that far in my family, you know, but it's amazing what you do. We only go six, six, two more. Um, All right. Focus, Michael, focus. I still, still say focus. But it's interesting, you want the best for your child so you, you don't want to have to worry whether your kid's going to be throwing himself in the fire, drowning himself, so on and so forth. And we look at the scripture and we see that the father was willing to go to the disciples say, hey, I need my child healed. I want my child healed. I want to make sure he lives a normal life where he can do things in life without being worried about whether he's going to die by this demonic spirit. And one thing I think today, my friends, I truly, truly believe this. I think Satan has pl- has has, has pledged this lie that there is no more demonic activity in the United States. There is no more demonic activity in the church as a whole. I think, that he, I think the lie is that Satan is gone, and that there is nothing to fear because Satan no longer exists. That's one of his biggest lies, that the Satan, Satan does not exist. And I want to tell you that's such a lie, my friends, because as we know, the scripture says, we know the scripture says from John 10.10, 10, that I come to give you life and to give you abundantly. But also says the thief comes to kill, still, and destroy. Satan's job is to destroy everything you hold valuable. Your children, your faith, everything. As we look at the scripture, Jesus is coming down the mountain. Finally he understands, there's a, there's a dispute what's going on. But prior to casting out the demonic spirit, Jesus did something very interesting. He didn't cast out the Spirit immediately. But he says this, If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. And here's what we really need to stop and look at, what the Father said. He was completely and totally honest with Jesus. He admitted that he had unbelief, and he didn't have complete faith and trust. Verse 24 says this, Immediately the Father cried out and said with tears, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. I don't know if that maybe just resonates with me a little more. But, Lord, help me with my unbelief. Lord, I want to see miracles. I want to see your hand moving. I want to see mighty acts of God in our church here and in America today. I want to see God move in our country like he hasn't moved for, at all. I want to see a revival take place. But I will tell you, my friends, that this challenges my theology. It challenges my thought process. It challenges me of my, my, my sarcasm and my, my doubt. Lord, help me with my unbelief. The Father said, Lord, I believe that you can heal, but maybe, maybe you can't. But I, help me with my unbelief. Have you ever prayed before and you honestly and earnestly want this prayer answered, but you know in the back of your mind there's a doubt? You know that just, Lord, I know you can do all things. I know you can form the foundations of the world. I know you knitted me in my mother's womb. I know all these things, but God, I don't know if you can do these things. I don't know if you can do this. I don't know if you're powerful enough. That's kind of what we put upon God. We kind of put this expectation, Lord, you can do all these things for other people, but I don't know if you can do it for me. I don't know if you can do it for my family. I don't know if you can do it for my my circle of influence. And there's a scripture that it's not even my slides and half of these probably aren't. That's okay. But it says the scriptures that says Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. If Jesus, who is the God of the universe, was able to perform these miracles in the New Testament. Here's the revelation that we still live in the New Testament, my friends. We are still actively involved in the beginning of the church. We still have the ability to see miracles performed and people set free from addictions and from cancer and from demonic spirits. Amen. We're able to see those things. But here's the question. Do you believe? Here's the question. Do you have doubt? Oh, I'm the first. So I do. Have you ever seen someone healed before and you question? Ah, they probably weren't that sick in the beginning. <laughs> you know, have you, have you ever seen... The cancer probably wasn't really cancer. It was probably just something else. I've heard people say that. But also I've seen with my own eyes people being healed as well. What was it that he didn't believe? Was the father he didn't believe he could be healed? At this point, no one or no one was able to help, was able to heal his son. Maybe he didn't believe that God could do it or heal his son. Maybe the father was thinking, God won't heal him. Guess what? We don't know what the Father truly was believing. We don't know the whole thought process of what was going on, but we know that the Father would do anything to make sure His child was going to be taken care of, no matter what was taking place. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9 says, You see, there's no no difference in the Father. We believe we came to faith in Jesus Christ, making Him our Savior and our Lord. We came by grace through our faith, but can we continue to believe when we doubt? Now, I ask that question, is there, what are you, what's your issues? We all have issues, don't we? If you don't, ask your spouse. They'll, they'll probably tell you what some of your issues are. What are you struggling with God? Where are you struggling at in life? What are you doubting about God? We believe in our salvation. We believe that Jesus can save but we have the issue of some other things in our lives not being able to take place. As the Father said, Lord, help me with my unbelief. I want to give you four principles I believe that we should be focused on that will help us with our unbelief. The first principle is God will intervene. Know that we, now that we know believe, that believe is God, is what we're going through, He hears our cries. Do you understand what, when you pray, when you speak to God? God hears your prayers. Hey, it is amazing. In my life, where we're taking care of our granddaughter for the last nine, ten months, whatever it is. And for, for a while, I've, I've been a sound sleeper. And now bringing a grandbaby back into the house where we have to listen to make sure she's okay, make sure she's not having issues at night. I, we, I say we, it really means my wife. We hear her cries. We know what's going on. I, I did not imagine in my life right now having to walk over toys in the living room in the middle of the night and those Legos and um, food on the carpet again and our house being messy. I imagine our lives when our children were gone that we would just visit, have our kids visit once in a while. The grandkids come and we spoil them. We give them sugar and they go home. But our, our little baby's with us all the time, and we're thankful that she is safe. But my thought process is, as, as, I, as we hear the baby's cry, God hears your cries. God truly hears your cries and he is concerned about what's going on in your life. He's concerned what's taking place and the doubts and the struggles and your arguments and the struggles that you face each and a day. He is worried about your finances. He is worried about your... He's not worried, but he is concerned with whatever you are concerned about. Because he wants you to put your faith in him and not worry about those things and not doubt about those things. Here's the thing I had a revelation this morning. Not really a revelation, but here it is. In 10 years... My problems I'm dealing with now, the insignificant ones, how are they going to affect my relationship with God in 10 years? They're really not going to affect my relationship with God. If I handle them correctly, if I handle them and putting my faith in God, my trust in God, my problems now will not matter in 10 years. They truly won't. Now they seem very significant. They seem very monumental. But in 10 years, they won't. Most of them. Don't get me wrong. There's some problems Faith in our children, generational faith, so on and so forth. We those are huge issues, but God will intervene. Jeremiah chapter thirty verse seventeen says this: "But I will restore you to health and heal your wounds." As the, as the Israelites were going into exile, this is a promise that God from God: "I will restore your health and heal your wounds." Do you understand that that we can take that promise and, and take it to us as well? I don't want to take scripture out of context. <coughs> But we were able to take the principle and say, God will heal my wounds. He will heal my heart. He will take what's going on in my life and he'll mend it. We have to be delivered. We have to believe that God isn't sitting out there aloof and far from our daily problems. But he is here actively walking with us. Psalms 23, 4, very familiar passage. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. This is not supposed to be a depressing scripture. It's not something we just read during funerals, but most pastors do all the time. But this is a confident promise that even when you go through the shadows of the shadows of death, even when you're going through hard times, even when you don't know what's going on in your life and you don't have the answers, God is right there with you as a shepherd. He is there comforting you, wanting the very best for you. Psalms 34 verse 15 says this, "The eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and hears and he, he, I'm sorry, and His ears are open to their cry. The righteous cry out, and the Lord hears and delivers them out of their trouble. Don't you want to be delivered from your troubles, my friends? Don't you want to be delivered from the, the, the chaos of life? And I will tell you, my friends, some of the I don't know about you, but a lot of the troubles I have are because of me. They're not because something else, some other influence is coming to my life. because I've made stupid decisions. Have you been there before? <laughs> oh, I know. I, you, th- you would think after a certain period you would no longer make stupid decisions. But I am a slow guy. I am extremely slow. It takes me a while to learn not to do certain things before you get in trouble more. So here's the thing I want to point out. God wants to deliver your troubles and your trials. Not only did David know it, that is how the mental understanding and knowledge about God, that no matter what we're going through, God will intervene, not so much in a way we would like, but in a way that is best for us. I want to add this. I love, this is my analogy. I'm sorry. I believe that we have a lot of microwave Christians and some crockpot Christians as well. That's my analogy. My analogy is the crockpot Christians are people that are very in tune with God. They're, they're the ones that are simmering, they're waiting, they meditate on God's word, they look at God's word, they seek the Holy Spirit, they want the very best in life, and they are willing to take 24 stinking hours to get cooked for the food to finally be ready. I, if you don't know me very well, I am a microwave Christian through through and through. I want my food done in 30 seconds. I want my prayers answered immediately. I'm an impatient person when it comes to God. And that's where I'm slow too. You'd think I would learn with God that things don't always happen on my time. They happen on God's time. And so here's the deal. The more I become like people who are those uh, crockpot Christians, the people who are slow, methodical, waiting upon the God, the better balance I have in my life. Where I understand it's not my timing, but it's God's timing. When I understand it's not my way, but it's God's way. When I understand that it's not what's happening in my life that matters, but it's what happens, what God wants in my life. Second point is, when we don't see, we we have a rule in our house that if, uh, especially when the kids were smaller. Basically, if we have a, a family meeting, I don't want a, a, a nod. I want a verbal yes. Because when you have six little kids, it gets a little confusing. Who heard you? Who didn't hear you? And they always have the excuse, oh, I didn't hear you, Dad. Well, if you give me a verbal confirmation, you heard me and you're, 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 you're on the hook. You're on the line. And it's interesting that when we see this, we don't always get to see what God is doing in our lives or in the people's lives that we are praying for. It takes time. It takes It takes the ability to be patient upon the Lord. In John chapter 20, verse 29, his disciples, Thomas, who doubted, said, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. We don't always have to see the miracles in our lives and know God is still working. But I will tell you, my friends, that when God can take Saul, a persecutor of the church, one who is bringing... Harm upon his upon the God's body, and he can make him to Paul, who converted hundreds of people and who wrote more than new half of the New Testament. When you can take someone like that, you can see that there is hope in every single person's life, no matter where they are in life, no matter if they are young at age or whether they're old at age. Wherever they are, God can move in people's lives. Think of Joseph, Joseph who was sold as a slave. His brothers hated him, and there's. Joseph wasn't the smartest character. He, he, he had a dream, and he told his brothers, one day you're gonna bow down to me. Not the smartest thing in the world to do. To tell your older brother certain things. And, but Joseph went in, he was sold into slavery, he became a prisoner, and even though he had many doubts, ultimately he trusted in God and never wavered. It was reward, he was rewarded. Where he went from slave to prisoner to the second most important person in power in all of Egypt. 2 Corinthians says we walk by faith, not by sight. Something I am trying in my life to remember, I don't have to always have the answers, By obedient to God. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Now faith is a substance of things hoped for, and the evidence of things not seen. It is my responsibility to be obedient to God, and to leave the results to God. I may not see what's taking place in the heavenly realms. I may not see what's going on in people's hearts or people's minds. But knowing God is going to be working. My third point is what we need to do to help unbelief is get into God's word. It is so powerful. Getting into God's word is the most powerful thing. One of the powerful things we can do besides prayer. I will tell you, I have to have um, my personality. I'm very, very focused I, I, except when I preach. Um, I, I like to, I, I'm very, very focused, driven. Uh, I'm very, um, I'm just focused. So in the morning, I have committed myself, and this is now three, two or three months ago, uh, I have a 45-minute drive to work every day. In the beginning, I didn't like it, but then I found some podcasts. And then, you know what I started doing, which made my day even better? I started listening to the Scripture for 45 minutes. I went through the whole New Testament, I then started in the Old Testament. listened through Genesis and Leviticus and Numbers. And there are, as Michael said a couple of weeks ago, there are a lot of begots in there. This person begot this person. This person begot this person. I, I can't fast forward certain parts when I drive because I'm going 80, 85-ish miles per <laughs> hour. Michael said last week we have five-mile grace. No, I'm just going by what my pastor said. If it's wrong... Hope that works <laughs> exactly... So anyway, I, my speedometer is probably wrong. So anyway, so, but anyway, I've learned so much in the last couple of months about how, and my attitude with work, about just being in the word of God. And here's the beautiful part. I was going, I went through uh, Genesis once again and talking about the covenant with, uh, with Abraham. And I was, I was going through, I went through this, this uh, on Friday or Thursday, whatever it was. This guy comes to my office. We start talking. He's a Jew. He's a Jewish guy. We started talking about the Torah. We started talking about the Jewish custom. We, we sat there and talked in my office about 45 minutes. Just hopefully there's no Genesis employees here. Um, but um, we, I finally, we had to kind of kick him out because I had to get back to work. But it was amazing how God orchestrated the Word of God, what I was studying, and talking to a Jewish person. It was just so fascinating on the insight that he was able to give. But one thing I want you to understand is in Psalms 119, 105, the Word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. This is how we are to live our life. This is the direction of how we are to live. Do you want to know what's right and what's wrong? Read the Scriptures. Don't listen to the news. Don't listen to Facebook. Don't listen to that that stuff. But listen to what the word has to say because God will revolutionize your life. Jeremiah says this in chapter six, verse 16. Thus saith the Lord, stand in the way and see and ask for the old path, where the good way is and walk in it. Then you will find rest for your soul. But they said, we will not walk in it. My my friends, I tell you, in order to have a blessed, I shouldn't say this. To have a better life. To, abs- to abstain from things that are going to hurt you. From things that are going to be harmful to your life. Walk in the way of the Lord. Walk according to the scriptures. And they will, it will help. It will truly, the scriptures will roadblock a lot of sin that is in life. That sin wants to take you down this dark, deep path. And destroy your life, but the scriptures will revive you and be able to show you truly what is good. The scripture says in 2nd Timothy, I'm gonna skip a couple, all Scripture is inspired by God and it's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction and in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. My friends, a lot of us are going into battle Not prepared. A lot of us are going out there thinking we can use our own wisdom and our own insight to get through the daily lives. But we can't without the Word of God. And I love a church. I love people who hold other people accountable. I have people in my life who who, who tell me, Michael, you need to step it up. You need to do this or whatever the action is. So as I look at this, I believe the Lord is asking us to believe in a di- divine intervention, in faith, oversight, and in God's Word. My fourth point and my final point is for the impossible. What is impossible in your life right now? What are you struggling with? What are you doubting about? And my friends, I want you to understand that Jesus is the God of the impossible. Wherever you are in life, maybe you're struggling, maybe you have cancer, maybe you have sickness, maybe you have injuries. You don't know what's taking place. And you don't know how to get past it. Well, the beautiful thing is God will get you through it. God will allow you, through his grace and intervention, to be able to do those things. Mark chapter 9, 23, going back to our story. If you can believe all things are possible to him who believes. When his disciples wondered who who could possibly be saved, Jesus said, with men, all things are possible. In other words, nothing is impossible for God when God is involved. So let us get out of our boat or invite God into our boat. Let us be one in step with God and walk hand in hand with him. I've always liked what the apostle Paul said, I hold this scripture dear to my soul because I don't want to limit to God. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all that we ask or can imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. What we can imagine. I, I just want to read that scripture one more time. Now to him who is able to do imaginably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is work within us. I want you to understand that we, I can imagine a lot of great things. I have a lot of imaginations. I want to see so many people brought to the relationship with Jesus. And I, I truly want to see our world, our town, transformed by the renewing of Jesus Christ. I want to see friends and family come to Jesus, and knowing that they are safe and they are secure in the relationship with God. I want to understand that with this scripture, I want to pray. I want to ask God what what I doubt. I want God to fulfill that doubt. Do you know it was very honest that the father said, Lord, I believe, but I have issues. I have doubts. I think the guy was, I think he healed his son because he was truthful with the Lord. I think he doubted, but I think he knew that he doubted. And God answered that prayer. You having problems with finances? Guess what? I'm not a name-it-claim-it kind of guy. Send me your money, I'll pray for you. Don't work like that for me. Send me your prayers, I'll pray. Where are we with the impossible? Where are we with our our, our finances and our relationship with our spouses and our relationship with our children, our relationship with our Heavenly Father? Where do you doubt? Where is the unimaginable that God can come and show you how he can work. I truly believe that God wants to show us his power and his ability. I truly think that God wants to open up the heavens and pour out his blessing upon us to show us how powerful and mighty he is. I I truly, truly believe that because we still live in the book of Acts. In the very end, Jesus says that this demonic issue can only be solved with prayer and by fasting. To only cast this demonic force out can only be by, by, by prayer and by fasting. Many of we are we many of us are good at prayer. I, mean, I want to pray like a lot of you when I get older. Because you have the ability, just those, those just the beautiful prayers that come out. I'm one that I stumble, I, I kind of go off on a rabbit trail over here with the Lord, I come back, and so on and so forth, and and everything else. But I want you to understand that the scripture says a prayer and fasting. How, let me just ask you a quick question. How many of you guys are thinking about lunch right now? Don't raise your hand. It's bad. Focus on the Word of God, man. Focus. Be spiritual. Come on. What are you thinking? Fleshly people. Anyway, just joking. Now I'm thinking about food. Thinking, where are we going, Lord? Uh, anyway. You know, I think, what is the point of, about fasting? This is a whole other sermon some other day. A whole other sermon. But I think the the point of fasting is denying yourself physical pleasure. Denying yourself things that we are accustomed to. And taking that time and focusing upon God and who God is. Declaring, I think it's a declaration of saying, my spirit controls my body. And not my body controls my spirit. And my friends, a lot of us, our body controls everything. And so this demonic activity to cast this demon out had to be done by fasting and by praying. When's the last time you fasted? We, we talk about major spiritual issues that we are concerned about. But when is the last time I fasted over my, my children, uh, over relationships who I, I struggle with? When have I beseeched upon God and put aside the fleshly ways and focus on who, who Jesus is and spend time with Him. And today, if we want God to work in our lives, we have to be brutally honest and say, Father, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief. Maybe you are not a person of faith. Maybe this whole faith thing is brand new to you and you, and you don't know where you are with faith. You have a lot of doubt. Each one of us started at that point at one point in our lives. I got saved because I didn't want to go to hell. That's why I got saved. I didn't want to burn. I didn't want to be with gnashing of teeth. I just wanted to be with Jesus. And now I realize I'm saved because God loves me. And that God cares for me. And he wants the very best for me. So maybe you don't struggle with doubt yet. Maybe your faith journey is just beginning. And this is a time that I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray for every one of us that struggle with doubt, or maybe you're just you're beginning your relationship with God. Because, my friends, God is the God of the impossibles. He can change hearts, He can change minds, and He can change everything. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, I thank you, God, so much for who you are. I thank you, Lord, that we can come before you and greet you and say, hello, I love you, Father. And Lord, I'm thankful that when you look at us, you see your Son, and that you are pleased and you are proud of us. Lord, I know that you are not proud of my actions all the time, but Lord, you know who I am, and I am in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray for people who are right now who are struggling with unbelief. Lord, that they can't be healed. That their finances will always be a wreck. That their marriage is always going to have strife and issues. Lord, we pray right now in the name of Jesus, Lord, that you will heal people, God. Lord, that you will touch their bodies. You will touch their heads. Lord, if they're fighting the physical element, Lord, if they are fighting the mental element, God, I pray, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ, you just touch touch them, God. I pray, my Father, just for people's finances, Lord. Lord, first of all, let us just quit making stupid decisions. Lord, let us be able to be disciplined people. And Lord, I pray that you will just allow us to come out of the debt that so many people are in. Lord, I pray for, for people's relationships for husbands and wives, God. I pray, God, that for marriages who have been struggling for so long, whether you have a a believer an unbeliever or two believers, Lord, wherever they are at, Lord, I pray, God, that you move in the midst of their marriage, that you draw their spouse to you, Lord, and the conflict will be resolved. Lord, you are a God. We have the ministry of reconciliation. And, Lord, I pray, God, today for people who have not put their faith in You. Lord, I pray that they make that decision, that commitment to follow You. For You are the way, the truth, and the life. And God, only to You, Heavenly Father. I pray, God, just for our, the people's relationship, our relationship with You, God, to be more important than anything else in this world. Lord, let us become victories over You. And Lord, we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Stand.